Hey little puffins, thank you for tuning in for another episode of Eat Puff Love. Due to audio complications, part of this episode might be a little challenging to hear. Our sincerest apologies, but keep on listening and remember to eat puff love. Now keep on listening. And welcome to another episode of Eat Puff Love. We are your host, Growler. And I'm your boy, Vibes. How are you feeling today, Vibes? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling really good, actually. The sun came out. It was raining earlier. Yes, it was a little rainy here earlier today, but it is not raining anymore. Blue skies, sunshine, and a good conversation ahead of us. We have a guest on Eat Puff Love today. Yes, let's welcome uh, Carrie Allen Johnson uh, to our podcast. Everybody say hello. Hey, hey, brothers. It's so good to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling pretty good. It's a, it's Friday. It's been a long week. Um, you know, we're, it, it, today is like post Thanksgiving. So, you know, I made it through, uh, you know, Thanksgiving and all of the, you know, challenges and joy that that brings. So um, I'm feeling <laughs> pretty good. Yeah. We actually decided to have our own little <laughs> non-traditional Thanksgiving. Um, Yay. And this morning eating leftovers from then. Yes, we have. Yeah. I have our, my grandmother's famous sweet potato cornbread. It is nothing like the way she makes it, but it is still damn good. <laughs> okay, so why do you call it your grandmother's sweet potato cornbread if it's nothing like she makes it? It's inspired by grandma. Inspired by. It's inspired by grandma, but you know it's important to acknowledge the ancestors when you're in the kitchen. Sure. So, Absolutely. Know. And so I got to yeah. taught me how to do it, and you know, and from right. The, from there, I'll expand and, and make it better, right. and better and better. One day, somebody will right. be calling it their grandfather's sweet potato cornbread. You know, right, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. And it all started with Jiffy. It all started with Jiffy. <laughs> so, Carrie, you are currently not in the U.S., is that correct? Uh, that's right. I live in Burundi, uh, which is a very small country in Central Africa. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. So you know we want to hear the Genesis story. We um, know how you and got we all have, yeah, and we haven't told people. Sure. But go ahead. Uh, okay, the brief version. Uh, I have been working in Africa a, a good part of my career. Um, you know, um, you guys are going to plug the book, but uh, I'll plug it too. There's a, a couple chapters in, in the book that we'll talk about uh, desire lines that, that sort of recount some of the experiences that my narrator has that I shared. Um, being, I was a, a Peace Corps volunteer in South uh, Central Africa back in the 80s, um, there was a country called Zaire, which no longer exists. It's now called the Democratic Republic of Congo. So anyway, I, I sort of got bit by the Africa bug, um, you know, went to the University of Nairobi as an undergraduate for, you know, my junior year abroad. 
And so, yeah, I, I, did, I did a degree in international relations and African studies um, at Columbia University. And so I've been working in Africa pretty much, you know, most of my adult life and most of my career. And it's been quite, quite the journey. And so right now I'm in Burundi and I've been here the last three years working on uh, development programs, mainly like family planning, um, we run family planning clinics around the country, malaria prevention and treatment and HIV treatment. Okay. Wow, thank you so much. Wow, that's so many cool things. And you know, I, I, you're right. We didn't, we didn't plug the book first and I'm so glad. That that's all right. We got time. Plenty of time. Because this week is right. hidden over here, child. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I am very interested in, tell me how an author finds themselves in, um, in the Peace Corps. Now, I know from reading the book and, and, and understanding how you got there, but tell our listeners a little bit how, how you got to this point in your life. You know, um, I've been having a disc. I mean, my book came out uh, two, two and a half months ago, and I've been having this debate with myself, you know, whether I am a novelist or I am a guy who wrote a novel. Um, and and they're both good things. But I, I just say that to say that that being a writer has been, you know, part of who I am from, you know, who I've been from the early days. Like in the, in the you know, like a lot of young people, I wrote poetry, you know, in high school and college to keep from going crazy, to like let all those feelings kind of, you know, come to the surface. And, and it was, of course, awful poetry, um, <laughs> but I wrote it anyway, and it, it saved my life. And, uh, but I'm no poet. I'm no poet. Um, but, but I am a writer and I, I, I was part of a couple of uh, groups of writers um, that emerged in the 80s. One was the Black Heart Collective and the other was other countries and these were groups of uh, black gay men who were you know um, artists, mainly writers um, who were trying to write down the history of you know the, the, the truth about our experiences before we died. Um, and I don't say that to be maudlin or, you know, like, you know, um, you over, you know, sympathetic to create, you know, draw sympathy. But just to say that that was the truth. There was a very strong sense in the 80s, particularly before, you know, HIV testing was available, that if you were sexually active and you were black or Latino, you were probably going to die. Hmm. Um, so. It, so there was definitely a, a strong need, you know, to like write it down um, before we died. So as part of other countries and, and the Black Heart Collective, we produced a number of journals that are still available um, of, of poetry, prose, you know, writing for the screen. So anyway, I've been writing for a very long time and I finally decided, you know, about five years ago that it was time to write the novel, a novel. And that's what I did. And that's what you did. And so let's not uh, not say the title of the book anymore uh, because it's an awesome <laughs> book. It, it took me, I would say, maybe a week to like digest. You got through it pretty Yeah, good. right. Um, but the novel is called Desire Lines and it's a novel. And you said you and so you said, Carrie, that it's 
based loosely off your life? Is it semi-autobiographical? Biographical? Did I say that right? Biographical. Autobiographical. Semi-autobiographical. There we go. <laughs> Got tongue-tied. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. You know, I, I think that um, many first novel novels, debut novels, it's so funny when you know people say this is my debut novel because I've been writing for a really long time and I'm 62 years old, so it's kind of weird to think of doing being being a debutante in any part of my life. But I guess, but you know, the, this is my first novel. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I think like a lot of first novels, you know, authors draw from their personal experience. I think what makes this book seem probably even more kind of, well, is this a memoir or what? It's because I write from the, in the first person. Mm. Um, uh, you know, I'm writing I, I, I use the uh, the I, you know, uh, you know, uh, and I just sort of chose to do that. I could have just as easily used he used the, the third person, but I wanted the book to feel personal. Yeah. I wanted people to be able to like really see themselves in the character and not be able to run away from the turmoil and the terror that the character was feeling. And I'm really glad when I hear you say you read it in a week, because I myself am a very slow reader. Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> and that's okay. Yes. We, di we digest, you know, slow readers, we digest like, you know, with, with more depth, I think, which is fine. Like I just finished Brian Broom's um, memoir, uh, Punch Me Up, Punch Me Up to the Gods, which won the Kirkus Prize last year. Another, okay. And it, it took me like two weeks to read it, but I loved every moment of it. So, so when you say you read, you read it in a week, several people have told me that Desire Lines is a, is a, is a quick read. And I, and I like that because I don't want to get bogged down on, I mean, me, I, the story has to flow and it has to be exciting and people have to want to know what's coming next and what's, what's this bitch up to next <laughs> and what's going to happen, you know, and especially once it starts moving into some of his experiences with drugs, experiences with sex. I mean, you know, shit speeds up. Yeah. And so... I like the fact that nobody's telling me, oh, Carrie, you really could have edited 50 or 60 pages out of this. No, not at all. I actually, when I picked the book up, um, I, I have to get started reading, but then I start to digest and I'm, I'm really trying to put myself in the mind of the character. So I, I really was one of those readers who was like, well, where is this going next? Um, it's going to all turn out. And so right. for me, I was able to do that. And um, what I really liked in your events, praise, I think the the author of 100 Boyfriends, Brontes Pernell said, and I completely right. agree with this, is that you're, um, it's, it's poetic, but it's still modest. Um, for me, the book was telling because there's like a different, in the, I think I read something and I'm paraphrasing now, like in your body, you have all these different uh, experiences and lifetimes in one lifetime. Yeah. And I really experienced that uh, while reading your book.
back, little puffins. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, welcome back. We're here with the uh, newly debutanted <laughs> author, <laughs> Mr. Carrie Allen Johnson, the novelist of Desire Lines. Yes. And we are going to dive into the book. Yes, you know, um, I, I want to jump in because before the break, you mentioned how um, you you got into the book and it was easy for you to get into the book. And for me, I think um, I am I'm 35, and so a lot of the a lot of the stories that were part of the stories that were taking place in the 80s was hard for me because I was looking at it and realizing that. Um, that there was a lot I didn't know about hmm. the time of AIDS. Um, and not just the time of AIDS, that's not the way I want to say it, the, the time of the AIDS pe- uh, pandemic, epidemic. And so, like, being a young person at that time, I mean, I would have been, I was born in 87, so um, so I, I saw a lot of the transitions that happened and a lot of the resources come out in the 90s. And um, mm-hmm. But I still remember family members who, would, who were othered um, and who were told, uh, we were told, you know, stay away from them because they were weird or they were gross or they were sickly. Um, and so, like, yeah, I, 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 I struggled because I, I spent so much time reading and then going back and then reading and then going back and then wikipedia and then going back and then, like, I found myself in a constant loop of, like, I didn't know that, I didn't know that, I didn't know that, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, it's just that I think it's I think it's an interest for me. It's an interesting perspective because I, like I said I didn't grow up in the eighties. Um, yeah. Um, that's not a question. But I'm well. I'm fascinated by it. Um, Same here. Uh, I'm fascinated by. It. I'd love to know what you didn't know that was made clearer you know because like people ask me but look i think i think whenever i don't know when you're writing a book i think um and like i'm not speaking from all this experience i've only written one novel but i've done plenty of short stories and articles and um you know you're writing with an audience in mind you may want other people to be able to appreciate it and but you do have you do have your you know target reader um and my target reader were was a black black gay men of you know in their 50s and 60s um that was my target and you know i was so blessed um to be able to do a book tour and go around the country and read from the book in september and i just want to shout out to one of our you know two of our leaders phil wilson um in la who you know created the black aids institute mm-hmm. back in the 80s and keith boykin um the, the, the author and commentator those brothers threw a wonderful event for me um in la that was you know, jam-packed, like maybe a hundred, you know, brothers of a certain age. And uh, it was, yeah, it was so gratifying to, you know, because our, our you know, it's we were so invisibilized um, in the AIDS epidemic. Um, you know, there's some wonderful, wonderful books about and fil- books, films, plays, um, you know, Angels in America, um, The Hours, um, uh, The Band Played On, um, you know, just some really wonderful stuff where black 
about AIDS. Uh, Philadelphia, the film where, where black people are kind of, you know, psychics yeah. or we're there to help the white people die or, you know, and and our stories didn't get haven't been told. And so I, I just felt even now I get notes from people, you know, um, you know, from time to time saying, wow, Carrie, you really took me back. Even stuff as simple as the places where we used to cruise. Um, <laughs> that was so for real. And that was the thing is like when I, when, as, a, as a younger person who would be like searching for you know where are these gay spaces that I? You know this is this is when I was in high school trying to figure out like where is everybody hanging out and like where are folks going and where is all these where are all these men and but did you not really know that because I used I, to know I used to I used to I I discovered theaters in 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 college. Well, I'm not talking about theaters in general. I'm talking about the whole idea that there is this. This, well, we've had this conversation before because of how we've uh, matriculated through <laughs> our queerness. Yes. Because I'm the exact opposite. So, Carrie, I'm 43, but everything that you wrote um, in the okay. book, I had some understanding or experience, if not directly from my through myself, but people that I was around. Because when I came to Washington D.C., where I currently live, um, I was I presented older, so I was able to get into places that like at 17 that most of my friends couldn't get into so all of my friends were you know black gay middle class men who had come to dc and did their thing and so they knew where everywhere to go the bachelor's mill the fireplace um they had these experiences where i remember a time where um you know everybody was bulking up to try to show up as if healthy oh my god right Um, and how that kind of displaced a lot of people who didn't look that way I, I, right. I caught the tail end of a lot of that and like I remember going to the clubs and people saying things like that but people saying it so rarely that I didn't really understand what they were talking about and really understanding like yeah I just I, 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 I feel like I, I caught I caught a lot of the tail end of like understanding of like uh, the discrimination that was happening concerning that within the community but I think yeah yeah okay. Well, I'm 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 glad for you. I'm glad for you that you caught the. T- I don't. I, I wouldn't want you to have to have gone through it. It was it was awful. Yeah. And um, you know there was you know look life gives you what life gives you. Life gives you your moment, and you 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 know one one period is not maybe any harder than another. I don't know in the existential way of looking at it, but it was. It was a particularly traumatic period to be um, a, a coming of age, and you know, like coming into your twenties in a moment where you know, and sort of finding just like you know, finally you got this queer. Well, we didn't use the term queer back then, but you know, gay, proud. I am who I am. You know, um, uh, you know, and the scene in the garage to me is that is this scene where you know he, he, he's 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 standing in his glory, right? Finally, and then like this weight drops on your head mm-hmm. um, that you and sort of everyone around you, your days are numbered, and 
so I'm so glad you mentioned that the piece about bulking up because yup, like you know, like people were like in the gym yeah. and and it created this whole kind of it was a cultural thing yeah. that that the gay men were considered you know attractive. You had to have muscles, and and it was because if you looked big, then you probably were not sick. sick. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, I think, and I, I think that yeah. Though that time, um, in the after come, you know, the afterthoughts of it all, the people have come through it. Like I was on the till in, um, but I do recall and remember. But I think you were talking about the scene. Is that the the scene in the club, the garage scene? Yeah, where the uh, character is uh, having a little fun on the dance floor and kind of standing into his own power. Um, yeah, yeah. I felt like. Everybody, or maybe not everybody. Maybe I have had that moment. You know, it's like. <laughs> so I, there was a lot of well, connections for me there. Good, and it's usually drug induced. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, but I'm not. I mean, you know. <laughs> The, I mean, everybody's not into drugs or wasn't into drugs. I mean, but the drug experience, the experience of, of drugs, of, of you know, of whatever kind, um, you know, was part of, you know, the sort of young gay life. Or, and, um, and I mean, you know, had this, this sublime moments of, you know, being on a dance floor, you know, at a huge discotheque, you know, and and in the, in the book, the character is, you know, and his friend friend have just done acid, and you know what that does. I mean, and you know, drug, you know, and similarly to sex, um, sex is sex. What up? It's, it's not, uh, you know, drugs are drugs. It, you know, it's not, you know, it's not nirvana. It's just, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a physiological experience. But but what I try and do in the book is I try. And sort of say, well, how does you know the drug experience, or how does this experience on acid, you know, in in the club, how does that, what does that tell the reader about him? Um, like what, like, and in that scene, it, you know, he, um, you know, he's able to finally realize that he is surrounded by all of these beautiful black men that he has never seen before that his eyes have never opened to them before because like a lot of us i think you grow up particularly those of us who grew up in the 70s and the 80s your standard of beauty was white okay you you know yup like you were t you were you know you the marlboro man the you know that is and in the in the gay life that was who you know you, I, I let me talk let me speak from my own experience lusted after mm. and it and so so in the club that night what happens to him is he he, 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 the, the drug experience allows him to open his eyes. It allows him to see his tribe, and it, it, it almost becomes animalistic. I mean, they actually start barking in the club. And if you've been in a club, you know people bark. I mean, I don't know. Do people still bark people in clubs? People they bark. Okay. They growl. <laughs> well, Growler, yeah. then you're in good shape. Then <laughs> you are right where you need to be. Do they really growl? No, they don't bark. People bark. They growl. They make all. Yeah, <laughs> on the uh, dance floor with uh, okay. track, there's all kind of things uh -huh. happening as people know. But I, uh, okay, I'm glad we, you touched we, on that. We barked. <laughs> we barked. I'm glad you touched on that because 
the time frame of, you know, we're talking about standards of beauty, one based off of like the reality of trying to cloak what may be inevitable, which is you may be HIV positive at the time. Um, and so you're bulking up. And then the other side of it is desirability based off of what the mainstream says. And as a reader, you know, even though I knew that this was in a certain time, I was always looking for the moment when this character was going to be like, I really am embracing my blackness and um and there and i felt like there were moments of that and then i also felt like there was also a lot of self-doubt so i guess i'm wondering um even like when the character goes to um africa in the peace corps and has that moment Mm -hmm. with um Mm -hmm. with the uh the the person who works on the grounds no, no, I'm, I'm not. No, talk about oh, 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 she's the done. friend. Okay, we'll talk about Yeah, <laughs> with, but it was just with like, with with Augustin, the driver. Yeah, the driver. Yeah. Um, right, right. It seemed like there was still like struggle. So, do you feel like um, when writing this that the character ever comes to a point, or is it still a work in process? Um, where it's like, yes, I'm I'm a I'm a black man. I find other black men attractive and it's not um all sexual and though there's there were experiences i don't want to give too much of the book away i I think i'm rambling now but um yeah i guess what i'm asking is there was there ever a moment where you feel the character um kind of alleviated themselves of that struggle yeah, that's a that's a interesting. No one's ever really raised that or asked me that. And I don't mind I don't mind talking I don't mind giving pieces of the book away because I want people to buy it and I and, yeah. I, and I think it's <laughs> available on Amazon in both paperback yeah. and Kindle. Plug it, plug it. Tell us where it is. You know, come on. That's you know the reality of what we got to do. But but I mean to answer your question, no, he he never does. Um, fully you know self-actualize and i and i guess do do any of us ever would be my question like like i, I like what was I, I i watched this wonderful thing um oh i may destroy you did you guys see that um yeah. it, 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 it was was it hbo this 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 brilliant um you know series by this um, british black writer and act actress um anyway it just it, it, it what i loved about it was it didn't it, it didn't just all wrap up you know because life doesn't in my opinion all just wrap up okay okay so now you know okay oof, glad i'm over that you know glad i'm not using drugs anymore Glad I'm not, you know, now I'm not, you know, obsessed with white guys anymore. Glad that's done. It's, life is not like that, in my humble opinion. Mm. Um, you know, I think, I think, you know, I think it gets better. I think we get clearer on who we are. But I think that the, the you know, the, I, I, I think the best we can hope for is clarity on why we make the the choices that we make. Not not that the, we don't keep making bad choices. <laughs> um, maybe we make fewer. Maybe I make fewer as I get as I get older. But at least I'm, when I do, I'm like, ah, I see that one. I see what you just did here, Carrie. Um, and I think you know, at the for the for the for the main character. And I'm I'm not saying his name because, dear listener. 
um, because he is actually not named. He does not have a name. All right. Did that confuse you? (laughs) No. I, okay, so I, I got my little notes and I've been writing names left and right. Yeah. And I realized, okay, yeah. What is the, I even asked you, I said, what is the main character's name? I feel like I keep I, I keep looking back. I even went back right. earlier in the book where, where you were like, right. the character was, was interacting with mom. I'm like, maybe mom. Right. Like, or the brother or. You, <laughs> Eugene. Wait, 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 is this name Eugene or Kev? Eugene? I'm making up names. I'm should we call him Eugene? We should call him. We should call. We should call. We should leave him nameless. Yeah, I agree because I think I wondered about that too, and I had to go back after reading through. I was like, there has to be. It was uttered at least once, yeah. and I missed it somewhere. Yeah. But now, <laughs> having this conversation with you now, it makes yeah. sense to leave the um, the main character nameless because this is a story of many. Yeah. Um, you know, one story is just not one story. It's the story of many. And I think that's where we were saying the connection part um, that we were making even throughout different time frames, you know, different uh, generations of reader. Yeah. Yeah. And even like I, I, I found myself as somebody who has been in uh, a long term relationship with a white person, like having all kinds of feelings about Steve. <laughs> Having all kinds of feelings. Oh, talk, talk about that. Hold up now. Hold up now. Talk about, no, 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 no. Now, now, see, now, now the interview becomes interesting. Right. The rest has just been blah, blah, blah. Little Puffins, we're back. welcome back. We are here with the phenomenal Carrie Allen Johnson, the author, novelist of Desire Lines. Carrie Allen Johnson, his first novel, many more to come. Many more to come. Many more to come. We've been promised. Hey. Promised her Oops. But yes, let's 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 chat a little bit. We haven't talked about puffing, and there is some puffing that happens in uh, the book. You know, cannabis is a thread throughout. Um, I think, it, like most things in life, it's a thread. <laughs> um, and there were a lot of great moments. I think where you really described, like it was like the casualness of. Um, cannabis use even during the, the time frame but also it was never seen as like something that was a not good thing yeah it was never a negative would you agree with that uh I- I'm trying to remember, you know, maybe it's funny because like, I don't, I'm trying to even remember when there was puffing in the book because um, and, and I guess that goes to show you that <laughs> I, I don't, never thought of it as anything other than the normal thing that young black people. Oh, I know one. Pla- oh, I know. I remember now. Um, the, at least one place is is there's a the high school kind of flashback when him and his friends are sitting on a bench in Washington Square Park. Right, right. Um, you guys are from where? Washington, I heard yeah. I heard you say, and where else? We, well, we both live in D.C. now, but I'm from St. Louis. Okay. I'm from St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis. Yeah. Okay. Good, great. Yeah. Well, y'all know Washington Square Park. It was, you know, where, you know, on the NYU campus, it was where you went to Puff. Um, and 
And it was part of the experience of, of young hippie kind of kids, you know, counterculture kids kind of growing up in, in, in New York. And I think it's part of the, you know, the working class black experience, too. Weed was, you know, um, why smoke cigarettes, you know, smoke weed? I mean, that makes life you know, more kind of accessible. So, so the, so those, those, I still do those things. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't because I, be, yeah, but, but, but I, I mean, so I do not think of, I think of that as part weed and puffing as part of, you know, what eases, eases life and eases the conversation and, you know, and, and, and was a very normal thing. Now, there are, you know, part of this, the book is about drug addiction. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to soft pedal that or shy away from the horror of, of that. The narrator, you know, um, you know, has, you know, takes a journey down drug lane (laughs) and, uh, you know, it it, it puts him in some very precarious, you know, life threatening, you know, soul threatening kind of situation, Um, you know, so. You know, I, I, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, you know, drugs are like anything else. I think, you know, you, you, you got to know how to manage it. And some people can't manage it. Right. And the, for those people, there are alternatives, I guess, like, you know, N.A. and A.A. And, and I hope, you know, I hope, that, you know, I, 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 when people read the book, there was a, a brother who came to the reading in L.A., um, a young brother, and he told me that he was in N.A., right, and that you know, he was really looking forward to reading the book. And I said to him, talk to your sponsor first before you read this book, because there are some, I do not shy away in, in this book from talking about how drugs feel, how cocaine feels yeah. and when you use it. And I don't, I didn't want to send that brother back out into, you know, on a run. Um, so I hope he talked to his sponsor <laughs> before he read it. But anyway, I, I just say, say all that to say, you know, every, you got to make peace with all the things that are in life. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Some of them can be good if you if you handle them right. Some of them you can handle and you need to move on. Yeah. And I think I appreciate it that you did explore that because that's another thing. I mean, in the that's another component in which people can connect to um, either um, having experienced addiction themselves or knowing someone around them um, or, you know, and I think that you did a good job of writing about it. And as we've already said, it is a very casual thing. We're not saying that, you know, cannabis is the gateway drug. I don't think people believe that anymore. But as you said, people who struggle with addiction um, need support. Yeah. Yep. Yep. What is the uh, what is the uh, status of cannabis where you are? <clears throat> I um I illegal. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't even bother to ask. Um, because it's a conservative. <laughs> pla- I mean, you know, everything happens everywhere, but it's a very conservative place. I mean, even around homosexuality, like you know, homosexuality is it could be legal, could be illegal. I'm not even sure. But bottom line is it's risky. Right. Um, and uh, even in countries where homosexuality 
in Africa I'm talking about are, is legal, you know, there's still all sorts of, um, you know, risk of blackmail, risk of, you know, um, you, you know, being, you know, ostracized from your family and from your job. So I know you didn't ask about that. You asked about weed, but um, I'm, I'm sure it's illegal, but I guess like it's culture that really, you know, makes certain behaviors just kind of, you know, unacceptable. So, I, you know, I, I, I keep I keep that on the wrap when I'm here. But when you're away, <laughs> like most is it, time, is it time? Is it time for me to talk about my puff experience now or, or did that come later? Well, we're not even, I'll hold it. We're not even going to put a puff moment. We're going to have to spin our magical wheel that tells us whether or not, you know what, this is the thing about our podcast. Folks have been listening to yes. the podcast and now they know when the yeah. moment happens. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and people, and I'm, sure, I'm sure everyone is like looking forward to it. Like when yeah. I get to tell my, my puff story. <laughs> tell your story. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get to our eat, puff love moment um we are going to spin our wheel that tells us which of those three you get to choose i don't care what your wheel says i really don't you spin spin it spin it if it will make you feel better are we ready let's go ahead and spin uh-huh. the wheel, everybody come on right it's not even a real wheel. I can hear it. <laughs> now, see, Carrie, you can't be calling us out on the show, now. So, what you get? What I get? Our cats have been calling us out lately, and you know what? It's okay. You go keep it. It's wheel, right? At least you can get. At least go online and get a sound effect uh, for no, a, a, it's, like. It's so much roulette wheel. wheel. But you know what? I've been thinking about switching up the wheel. Maybe the wheel sounds like. No. I like the do 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 do. And your moment is <laughs> Puff <laughs> Carrie. Oh, how did you get just 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 lucky just lucky i guess oh boy so it's my moment now yes, go ahead not every day we I, novelist all, i mean you know because it's funny because when you guys were kind enough to invite me i was like well what happened what, what happens during the show do you puff while the show is on like is that how it works I, no. Yeah, we normally uh, okay. Obviously, obviously, I can't, I can't do that where I'm sitting. But um, as I mentioned, I, I just got back from two weeks in Thailand for the um, uh, the International Family Planning Conference, which was just amazing. And I've been to Thailand before, but it's been a, quite a while. And um, have you been to Thailand? I have. This is vibes. I've been you to have. Thailand. I used to live in South Korea, and I would go vacation oh. in, in Thailand. Um, a whole lot. Oh my God. <laughs> and you lot. know what I'm talking about. Yeah. The food, the, the, the temples, the, it's just a very, you know, just rich, rich, rich kind of like, you know, culturally. So anyway, weed is now legal, mm-hmm. um, since the last time I was there yeah. and there are weed shops on, on every corner in the kind of, you know, more touristy areas. And I don't think it's legal to like walk down the street smoking. But so I said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get some edibles, right? Um, Because I was a big weed head back in the day and, you know, 
graduated to other things and don't really smoke too much weed. So anyway, so so I'm in the shop and, you know, the, the, I see a cookie and the lady says, to, and I say, well, you know, how much of this cookie should I eat? And, you know, the type, a lot of, uh, they don't speak English, you know, many Thai people don't speak very good English. So she said, just a little just a little. and I'm like, I'm come on now. I know how to do this. I'm I'm gonna eat half. And she's like, eat it if you want. Like she had this look on her face, like if, if you 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 that big and bad, go ahead. You know, don't come back here. <laughs> and so I ate half of it, and oh my god, it I, I something about edibles. I don't know. I guess it's because they kind of go into your stomach and I don't know that shit had me going for hours and hours and hours and I and I and I and I said let me and I kept having to say to myself just go for the ride just go for the ride because it was really intense and once I relaxed and just said oh let me just go for the ride I, I know I'll eventually get back, you know, and so I went for the ride and I'm like, wow, I can't wait to, you know, try that again. <laughs> now, where were you? Were you in Bangkok? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was in Pattaya. The conference was in Pattaya, oh, Pattaya but then I yeah. went Pattaya. Yeah. You say it so nicely. Um, but then I, I came to Bangkok. What were you doing in South Korea? I, uh, I taught English there. Um, mm-hmm. So real quick, uh, 08, economy crashed. I needed a job. I had a friend who was teaching in Korea. He said, why don't you come here? I'll get you a job, no problem. At the time, they were paying 2000 US dollars a month, free housing, a whole hell of a lot of vacation. So I said, absolutely. <laughs> right, sounds great. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. Always been trying yeah. to get back to um, Thailand because it was my happy spot. I mean, you were talking about oh man the beautiness of the people the food the culture it's the land right. of smiles i mean that's, right. that's what they call themselves the yeah right smiles. right and Patrick, right. i don't know yeah. about today but in 2011 that was the last time i was there um, Pattaya was off the hook. <laughs> it, it, it was, I mean, I didn't really party there because I was there for the conference. Mm-hmm. But when I went to Bangkok, man, like like up and down that Salom. Yeah, that, Salom. I guess Salom just means street though, right? Yeah. But like the, that that whole area there where all the gay um, bars and yeah. clubs and you know, oh, it's just just so much fun. And even as an older person, like you know, like like I, you know, I, I you know, I how, how should I put this? Like I'm not really on the scene, like in the states. I'm like like I, I feel like you know I'm not you know that's, that's space for younger people. Um, but like I even felt comfortable just kind of hanging out a little bit, you know, and, and enjoying listening to K-pop, you know, listening to Thai music in the club. Um, it was voice. just great fun yeah it is fun and we're never too old i mean hell hey as long as there's a party there's always going to be a party <laughs> oh my gosh this is vibes well up, y'all. <laughs> well yes yes but i mean i do as 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 i've aged as i've gotten older i do sort of feel like you know there's an appropriate way i think for a man of a certain age to be in the club you know, okay. the, like I'm not, I'm not saying don't go or, or right. be ashamed or don't. But, you know, I think you have to be, you know, there with a certain 
calmness and you know not like hitting on everybody and okay yeah not the dirty old you know, man who's you know, exactly like because uh, we all remember that gotta, person when we were younger we all remember him exactly we don't want to become I, that I <laughs> right we i promised i would never be him i gotta be the cool old guy you know in in you know in the corner so <laughs> Well, I just hope that anytime you go out, and I, I know you had a wonderful time in, Th- in Thailand. You seem like, based off of the book and your writing and all of the great work that you've done and you are doing, that I'm sure you find time to just disconnect and enjoy yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because we all need to do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Check, check out Carrie Allen Johnson, the author of Desire Lines. Where can they find your book? Where can they find you? How can people get a hold of this book? How can they get a hold of you? Tell us all the information we need to know. Sure. Sure. Um, my website is CarrieAllenJohnson.com. One, one word, CarrieAllenJohnson.com. The book is available on Amazon. Um, it's available elsewhere, too, but Amazon is probably the best place in Kindle version and a paperback version. And, you know, I'm on Facebook, uh, uh, Instagram, uh at Johnson Desire Lines. So I'm, I'm totally accessible and I love to hear from folks. So if any of you listeners, you know, hear this, have some questions about the book or or, or anything else I could help with, I'm, I'm, I'm super open to communicating. Yeah, and um, could you also repeat the collectives that you were talking about earlier? Sure, yeah, and, and you know, check them out. The black, uh, you know, check them out in terms of you know, Google, they're not around anymore, but, you know, but the history of it all, right. um, the Black Heart Collective was in the early 80s um, and then uh, Black Heart and then other countries. Um, there's been a few articles written about, you know, the other countries writing workshop um, that was in the mid, in the mid to late 80s and early 90s. Okay. Yeah. Published three volumes. Um, uh, so yeah, you can find them on Amazon as well. Nice, thank you. Yeah. Join us by subscribing to wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, and remember to eat, puff, love. love.